Okay, good morning everyone. If you have found your seat again, would you like to find uh, your Bible? If you've brought one with you, that is. We're going to be spending some time looking at God's Word together. And in particular, we're going to be looking at a few verses in the letter of 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, that's nothing to be concerned about. You can follow on the screen above the stage. You shall see the, uh, the different Bible verses that we look at um, up on the screen. So when I've been preaching recently, we've been looking at the letter of 1 Timothy. And last time around, we uh, began looking at chapter 2. We're going to read uh, through just in a moment from verses 1 to 7. And for the remainder of our time together, before we worship again, then grab a coffee, we're going to probably focus on, on one of those verses in particular. It says this, Paul writes to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. And a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. And when we were in this passage before, we focused on verse verse 1. I urge then, Paul writes, that first of all, requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Our focus there in looking on that verse was the importance of prayer. The priority... Paul gives here to praying. He's writing to a church which is in trouble. And after his introduction, this is what he says. First of all then, I urge. It's what he wants to give attention to first of all. And we considered last time that it is our, is to be our first priority. It is indeed our highest privilege. Whoever we may get to speak to on planet earth. Whatever influence we might have, maybe one day you might even be uh, stood in a line and you shake hands with a king or a queen and you have the opportunity to, sh- to say a few words to somebody else perhaps in, in a high position of authority or perhaps you get the opportunity to speak to lots of people by virtue of uh, your, your work or how many Facebook friends you have, whatever. But our greatest privilege is to speak to him is to speak to Almighty God. We considered how this is God's great purpose. He, he saves us so that we might know Him, be in a relationship with Him, and so that we might pray. And so therefore that He might answer. It's how He's determined to act powerfully on planet Earth. He, he wants us. He urges us. He, he invites us. Pray. That's what we considered last time. I wonder then, what stops us? What dissuades us? What hinders us from praying? What hinders you 
I've reflected on what hinders me. In Ephesus, there is a massive problem, and it probably involved the fact the church is no longer praying. The church is no longer seeking God in prayer. You might ask the question, well, what, well, what was stopping them? What was stopping us? Maybe individually, there are kind of lots of things, lots of different things, lots of different challenges in life. And sometimes we can be too quick just to jump to a technique, a plan, a formula. I don't know if you've ever done this. I, I can think back to a time when I've done this. That right, I'm going to re-engineer my prayer life. I'm, I'm going to write all of these different things down. I've, I'm coming up with a plan. I know what day I'm going to pray about what issue. I know what time of day I'm going to bring this before the Lord. And you can write things down. It's almost like a, a revision timetable. Uh, for some of you, that's maybe now a happy memory rather than something you're actually living with pinned up on the wall. But we can, you know, you're, you're eager to revise, aren't you? Eager to get going in your, in your revision. So you come up with the color-coded wall chart planner. You know when you're going to have something to eat. You know when you're going to sleep. You know when you're allowed to go to the toilet. And you know when you're going to look at history. And you know when you're going to look at your science. It's all there. It's beautiful. All the effort you put into the plan. And then that, what happens next? Now, maybe some of you were, like, are properly regimented and you don't just love the color-coded piece of paper, but it just gladdens your heart to be on time and be on target. It's three minutes past one. It's time to move on. Oh, joy, it's biology. You know, I don't know. Um, But if you're anything like me, you might be quite good at coming up with a plan and then a little while later, you're discouraged. You've stumbled over. And that's it. Sack it off. I'm watching Top Gear. Um, we come up with a plan. That in itself is of some help, perhaps. It's not the first place to go. And perhaps when we're talking about prayer, we could suddenly get into a discussion. Well, okay, um, what do you do? Well, here's what I do. What do you do? What about you? What schemes, what ideas, what plans have you come up with? And if someone was to have that conversation with you, maybe you'd be encouraged by it. Or maybe you just think, oh, well, I can't do that. It sounds like hard work. And sometimes, if that's the place we start, we can get discouraged. What stops us praying? We've got to recognize that we have an amazing God and an enemy as well. And he, Satan, will try all he can to stop us praying. He knows the Bible verse that Terry read out earlier on from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, where Paul has been praying. And at the end of his prayer, this is what he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's how he concludes his prayer. He's pr- I've been praying to the one who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. That's what Paul is aware of. You know what? Satan knows that too. And so he wants to discourage you. He wants to discourage me from praying to God. He knows that God works powerfully by answering prayers. And so his strategy is to try to trick us into believing lies, to try to change what we think is true. 
And if he can do that, he can very effectively stop us praying. That's his plan, that's his strategy. Later on in the uh, letter to Ephesians, a couple of chapters later on, uh, Paul uses this phrase, flaming arrows. In chapter 6 and verse 16, he writes, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, what are those flaming arrows that he's firing in our direction, or or fiery darts? I think they are negative and untrue thoughts, ideas, and accusations by which he tries to have us believe lies about God and about us, or about the world. And some of those flaming arrows might sound like this, and they might they present themselves as our own thoughts. Number one, for example, well, God has let me down in the past with unanswered prayer. A related thought, God doesn't really care. Or if he does care, he's not really powerful enough to answer your prayer. So in discouragement, we are now dissuaded from praying. Number two, there are more important things for me to do. There's another little dart. We're persuaded that God is is powerful. Maybe we're not always persuaded that God is close. So we think, well, Here's all the things I need to do. When I wake up in the morning, my to-do list unfolds before me. There's just so much. And I care. I want to be involved. I want to do well in the workplace. I want to love my neighbors. I care about my kids. uh, There are so many things. And so I've just got to crack on and do it. There are more important things to do. Number three. Well, my prayers aren't good enough. So I'm going to leave it to the expert. And sometimes what we can do in regard to the the shield of faith, we might think of it in terms of size. How big is your shield? How impressive is your faith? Well, I just got this little toy one, really. I look at my, I look at other people, I listen to other people when they speak out in a meeting or whatever, I think, wow, look at their faith. Look at what they can say. My, My shield is just too small. Actually, no, it isn't. The issue, Paul says, is you've got to take it up. It's not how big your shield is. It's not you work harder, you be more impressive, you grow your faith and, and you upgrade your shield. Oh, well, until that point. No, you've got a shield. It's called faith. And what we do is we take it up. We can take it up or we can put it down. It's on or it's off. We believe or we don't believe. My prayers aren't good enough, some of us might think. Or fourthly, I don't think it will make any difference. I don't think that she can really change. I think he is beyond help. So I don't think I'm going to pray. I could, I'll pray when there's a glimmer of hope. But if that seems out of sight to me, I can't, I'm not going to pray. I can't. So can you see that rather than just have 
the colourful wall chart telling us what we're going to pray about and when we're going to pray about it. What we need to do is take up the shield. What we need to do is consider what is true. Before I start thinking about what am I going to do, I need to think what is true. And not just what do I think is true, what's my faith, what do I believe, but what is true about God, what does the word of God say, whether I'm feeling it right now or not. If we take up the shield of faith, then we'll extinguish those flaming arrows. Maybe at that point the conversation becomes more helpful. How do you pray? What, what might you do differently? But let's make sure today that we've considered this, not just the importance of prayer from last time, but the faith to pray. This isn't about techniques, this is about what do you believe? What do I believe? And for that reason, rather than just jump to verse 2 in this chapter, let's pray for kings and all those in authority, we're going to revisit that. We're going to go to the heart of this passage, the, 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 the center in verse 5 and into verse 6. And it unfolds from there. Here's what Paul wants to remind Timothy and he wants to remind the church in Ephesus. In order to extinguish flames, extinguish those flaming arrows. Firstly, this. There is one God. And I think this will help us to extinguish a couple of arrows at least. There is one God. There is the one and only God. And the one and only God has no rivals, no equals, no challengers whatsoever. That's what he says here. In fact, at the beginning of 1 Timothy and at the end of 1 Timothy, you get something of the flavor of Paul's prayers. Here's who Paul is uh, aware of that he's speaking to. In chapter 1 um, and verse 17, uh, we saw a few weeks ago, he writes this, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And as he's ar- arriving at the conclusion of this letter in chapter 6 from verse uh, 15, he talks, he says there, I'm just going to come in from that verse, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever and ever. That's who Paul is praying to. That's who we're praying to. If we're in Christ and we're speaking to our Heavenly Father, we're speaking to the one and only awesome God. And he's not a a genie in a bottle. He's not a magic servant. And sometimes when we get discouraged through disappointments, unanswered prayer or prayers that haven't been answered yet, or prayers where we didn't like the answer, We can sometimes start to be thinking, let our guard down a little bit, our faith shield drops, a dart comes through, God's let me down. It means that we've forgotten who we're speaking to. Well, I've done everything right. I've prayed to the Father, 
through the Son, in the power of the Spirit. I've prayed my best prayers. I've prayed three times. I pleaded with the Lord three times. He's not come through to me. I mean, does he want me to keep praying? He would get so much glory if he had listened. Honestly, I can see it. How many people would be impacted by my prayer being answered? So I'm done. Because he hasn't. Paul can say the same. I I pleaded with the Lord three times. Take this thorn in the flesh away from me. And he didn't. He said instead, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I pleaded with the Lord. And he didn't do what I wanted, because he's not a genie in a bottle. I rubbed three times. Here I am. Your wish is my command, Master. No, we're not the Master. We're speaking to the one and only God. In Hebrews, in chapter 12, just at the end of Hebrews 12, interesting uh, verse there. In, In Hebrews 12 and verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful Oh, yes. Thank the Lord for answer prayer. Thank the Lord for everything he does for us. You know, when, it, when it's a sunny day, and we open the curtains in the morning, we look out, and we see the sunshine, there's barely a cloud in sight. We think, yes, the summer is here. And we're just aware of all the benefits of just living in the sunshine. It's such a nice temperature, in and out of the garden or down to the park, have a picnic, play frisbee. Get on a sun lounger. Just soak it in. The rays. It's great, isn't it? Just relax, unwind, get a tan. When the sun shines. And then the sun goes behind a cloud. What? But the sun comes back out from behind that cloud. Yay, we celebrate, we give thanks. The sun has got his hat on. Hip, 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 hooray. Because why? We're just aware. This is wonderful. I'm thankful, I'm grateful. And living under God, we celebrate, we give thanks, we, we're aware, we share testimony. This is what the Lord has done for me. He's been shining on me. I'm just so amazed by his goodness. I've experienced it here, I've experienced it there, I've experienced it somewhere else. So many times. Oh, isn't he good? Amen, and he is. But if we only, if our spirituality only stays in the place of the sun has got his hat on, we've forgotten who we're speaking to. We've forgotten. And the cloud does roll by and disappointment does come. Think, well, what? Who is he? If Star Trek were real, newsflash for some of you, sorry, it's not. But if, if Star Trek were real and you could be teleported just at the press of a button, and disappear in one place, appear somewhere else, miles away. Let's say the sun has got his hat on, the clouds rolled in front of the sky, someone presses teleport, and teleports you within touching distance of the surface of the sun. Now, I don't really know what the surface of the sun is like. And let's just imagine, because this is what we're using, our imagination, uh, that you just had a few moments before you were just burned up. You had a few moments just to consider where you were. 
All you can see is the sun. And it's hot. And it's bright. And it's powerful. And we are no longer singing, the sun has got his hat on. There might be times for that. We're probably just going, oh. Obviously, we wouldn't get the opportunity to go like that even. (laughs) But if we just had a few moments, I think we'd suddenly realize we are nothing. We are absolutely nothing. And if we're allowed to get that close to the sun, it's amazing. What does Paul say? He, he, He dwells in unapproachable light. No one can see him because he's the one and only. He's the almighty God. And as somebody else reminded us, uh, something else that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, remember what happens, he gets to the end of chapter 2, he gets into chapter 3, he says, for this reason, he goes on a slight detour for a moment, important, then he comes back, verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now what is he saying? I'm praying. What is he saying? You have to kneel whenever you pray. He's not prescribing it. He's just telling us that's what he does. Why? Because he's just in awe of God. He's aware of who he's speaking to. And so back in Hebrews, sorry, jumping around a bit, back in Hebrews 12, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. Yeah, we do that with whoops. Yeah, we do that with great big God. And with reverence, And awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let us not forget who we're talking to. He's the one and only. That means he's the one God of everything. Only ruler. The only God. is therefore God over everything, everyone and everywhere. The good news is that God will never say in response to our prayers, I'm sorry, that's not my area. Let me transfer you to another department. Have you ever had that experience ringing up the call center? You come through to customer services. What's your name? What's your date of birth? Uh, What's your address? What's your telephone number? What's the middle name of your dad's first dog? Now that always gets you stumped. Why did I choose that as my security question? (laughs) Uh, And after a while of explaining the problem, customer services person says, I'm going to have to put you through to another department. And they put you through to the finance department. And they say, hello, you're through to the finance department. How may I help? What's your name? Oh, no. What's your date of birth? Oh, goodness. What's your address? What's your telephone number? What's the middle name of your dad's first dog? What's the problem? All right. Now I can see. Yeah, of course. That's really a customer services issue. Can I just transfer you? No, you cannot. (laughs) The one and only God is the God of everything. He never says, sorry, that's not my area. He says, this is my world. I made this. You speak to me. You speak to me. There are more important things to do. No, there's not. Speak to the God of everything. Speak to the one and only God of everywhere and every one. And how is he described here? Also in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And verse uh, 3, this is good and pleases God our Saviour, 
who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. See, if we are thinking there are more important things to do, it could be that we doubt either God's power, his ability to help, or or his compassion. Perhaps we doubt both. And sometimes when there are things about which we deeply care and there are people about whom we deeply care and there are places about whom we deeply care, if we have forgotten who we're talking to, we start to believe the fiery flaming dart lie that we care more than God does. But once upon a time, we didn't know about that person. Or once upon a time, we weren't aware of what was happening in that place. And once upon a time, we weren't that fussed ourselves. And sometimes in between, our compassion actually varies quite a lot. And we feel, we feel kind of consumed or we feel a bit guilty. We kind of, our performance is always doing this. There was never a time when God didn't know that person. There was never a time that when God did not care about what was happening in that place. God, our Savior. It starts with Him. The good news starts with Him. He's the one who wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Don't, don't miss the impact of this passage. There's one God. He cares about everyone. There's one God. We're going to pray for everyone. That's how, that's how it is. God always cares. He cared first. And He cares more than we can comprehend. Let's pray, but let's remember who we're praying to. Maybe that has dealt with a few, uh, fiery darts. We lift the shield of faith. What else do we hear in this passage? What else do we read? There is one God also. There is one mediator. And here, this will also allow us to extinguish some of those fiery darts. And so stand firm in prayer and do what Paul says. Pray in all manner of ways, all sorts of times, for everyone. Okay, well... It's not about technique and formula, it's about faith. So how does this help? There is one mediator. What is a mediator? Who is a mediator? A mediator is someone who can go between, who can negotiate, who can bring about peace by kind of stepping in between two people who aren't getting on or two groups. In this instance, a holy God and sinful people. Uh, but in the world, there are people who mediate. They try and bring about peace in the situation. Because in some way, they can identify and represent both sides. They can put their hand to this person over here and say, I'm with you, I'm for you, and I understand you. But at the same time, they can also say to the person who's over here, the offended party, They can also say, I'm with you, I'm for you, and I understand you. And I want to bring you together so that you are in good relationship again. That's that's what a mediator does. Um, They build a bridge to bring them back together. In fact, apparently, 
Roman emperors had a title. One of their titles was uh, Pontifex, which means a bridge builder. Pontifex Maximus, the greatest bridge builder, the greatest person to bring about peace on planet Earth. But they applied that title to one of their emperors. And so what Paul is doing here, without needing to go into the detail of who's the emperor at the moment and what their titles are, he's saying, no, there's one. There's one mediator. There's one go-between. There's one person who can stand both with God and with us at the same time in order to bring us together. And this mediator would have to be fully human, fully able to come over to our side and say, I can sympathize with your weaknesses. I've not sinned like you have, but I understand what it's like to live life in your shoes. I can identify with you. And he can also go over to the other side and he can say to the one and only holy God who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see, and he can say to almighty God, I'm with you. I know what it is to be holy. I know what it is to be pure. I know, I know, I know what it is to be God because I am God. So there's only one mediator. There's only one person who can build that bridge. And Paul tells us there is one God and one mediator between God and man. That's literally what he says. God and man. If you're reading in a more recent translation of the Bible, it might say humanity. It might say people. In my version, it says men. But actually, the word is man. Why is he doing that? Because he's doing another kind of... Uh, He's trying to bring emphasis to something. He's saying there's one mediator between God and man, the man. The one and only Jesus Christ. He is God and he is man. And so only he is and can ever be our Mediator. What does that mean for us? How does that help us to extinguish some of these fiery darts that come into, uh, come towards us? It means this. There is grace to pray. John Calvin wrote this. Whenever we pray to God, if the thought of His sublime inaccessible glory floods our minds with awe, we must also remember the man, Christ, is gently inviting us and taking us by the hand so that the Father, whom we had feared so much, becomes our friend. We have a mediator. His name is Jesus. He takes us by the hand and he brings us to the Father so that we may know the sunshine of the Father's love. The Father is not reluctant. We've already heard. God, our Savior, who wants all to be saved. Thank him that we have a mediator, one who steps in between, who goes between, who is the bridge. Now, what are we going to do with those accusations? What are we going to do with those thoughts that are firing towards us? Well, let me just show you briefly what uh, Colossians chapter 1 
And I'll read from verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Fact. When we acknowledge there is one awesome holy God, we cannot but help reach the conclusion, I am a sinful wreck. If I were to be teleported right in front of the sun, I would just cease to be. If anything at all came out of my mouth, it would be, I'm ruined. Woe, I'm a sinner. There, I'm a wretch. There is no hope for me other than through the one mediator. Reading on in Colossians 1, verse 22. But now, he, the awesome God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm. If you continue in your faith, you raise the shield. You say, not only am I speaking to the one and only God, I'm coming through the one and only mediator. And that means, because God the Father is pleased with his Son, Jesus Christ. Because God would look on Jesus' prayer life and say, that's pleasing to me. When I, who have accepted Christ, I'm in him. Now, as I approach the throne of God at the invitation of Jesus, I too can pray in a way that's pleasing to God. Not because of my performance, not because of my techniques, not because of my color charts, not because of anything that I've done, not because of any word that comes out of my mouth, but because I believe in Jesus. And if he is accepted, I'm accepted. And I'm going to pray to my heavenly father. So be strengthened by grace. Look at Jesus. Are you worried about your performance in your own prayer life? Are you worried that your prayer life is not good enough? Let us just acknowledge it isn't for any of us. No one comes before the Lord because they've made it. No one comes before God and is accepted because they've worked out precisely what to say and their color chart is beautiful and they stick to it immaculately and they're a brilliant prayer. No. We're accepted before God by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Therefore, nothing needs to be added to what Jesus has done. We don't go through another saint We don't have to pray to Mary because then Mary will pray to Jesus and Jesus might pray to the Father. We don't pray to any patron saint. We we don't need a specific ritual to go for, go through. We go through Jesus. So here I am. Father, you're pleased with him. So I'm coming in as well. So it doesn't depend on Jesus plus my effort. Jesus plus my plan. Jesus plus my righteousness. Jesus plus my performance. Jesus plus the kind of mood I'm in today. It's not relevant. It's just Jesus. Now when we believe that with our shield raised, we remember not just, oh prayer's really important, I know I should There's so many needs. We might remember that. But what we'll remember is 
I get to do this. I get to. Once you are alienated, once no chance. How can an enemy soldier march up to the king in the other army and say, I'd like an audience with you? He's going to get shot down miles away. He's never going to make it. I'd just like to... The fact was, when we were that enemy soldier, we probably didn't want to speak to the king. But there was no way. Alienated. But we now, we have a mediator. One who's built the bridge. One who's made the way. One who invites us in. One whom we are in. Also in this passage, not only are we reminded, there is one God, there is one mediator, we're reminded too, there is one ransom. So we've looked, there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. The testimony given in its proper time. Well, we've seen what a mediator is. What's a ransom? A ransom sets people free. A ransom is the price that is paid for a slave or a captive to be unchained and released into freedom. And what this does, it reminds us that we needed, in order to be brought to God, we needed a ransom to be paid. We needed to be released from something. We were in bondage. We were totally captive. We were locked in to sin and judgment. And there was just no way out for us by our own effort. No way out whatsoever we needed somebody else to come and pay the price we needed somebody else to come and uh, make that payment that would release us and there was only one person who could do that this mediator our uh, christ jesus and this reminds us that he paid that price how did he do it by giving himself giving himself up giving himself over, giving himself uh, to death. That's what Jesus would say himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He'd say to his disciples, the Son of Man didn't come uh, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. And so as Jesus was dying on the cross, that's what he was doing. The perfect one was dying so the imperfect ones could come. The righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, me, to bring you to God. This reminds us, should we think, I don't think it will make any difference. We've forgotten who we're speaking to. We've forgotten that he's the ransom payer. We've forgotten that he is the one by his blood, who can uh, break captives out of a prison cell of sin and judgment. And we remember, that was me. And we remember, there was nothing in me that could bring about that change. I was beyond help. But he ransomed me, he redeemed me, he delivered me. So how can I say of somebody else that they or he or she is beyond help 
Well, that was me. But look, I've experienced the ransom of Jesus. This powerful, life-changing stuff. He is the one and only life-changer. He is the one and only rescuer. Because he's the one and only ransom. A ransom that sets people free. And therefore, he is the only way. There is only one way to be saved. Oh, how this passage flies in the face of so much what's believed in this world. How can you say there's one God? There's one God. How can you say there's one way? There's one way. Well, that's true for you. Yes, it is. But it's not true because I chose it to be true. It's true by revelation. It's true because God is our saviour. It's true because this is who he is. And we live in a world that's forgotten who, who he is. There's only one way. There's one God, one mediator, one ransom, one way to be saved for all people. So what's happening in Ephesus? Maybe they were just narrowing down because they've forgotten who God is. They've forgotten that he wants to save everyone, wherever they're from, whatever their nationality, whatever their history, however violent they've been, however polite they've been. God wants to save them. No, we'll just pray for them. We'll just pray in a really narrow way or we won't pray at all because we don't believe God can do anything. It's... At that point, we don't need a program. We don't need to be told, come on church, here's the plan. We're going to pray. Half past six in the morning, you can be there. There's a time and a place for plans and programs. There's got to be faith. There's got to be faith to pray. If we've stopped praying, it's because we've stopped believing something. And if you're thinking there's more important things to do, you're trying to be the God that you're no longer praying to. And you will burn out thinking, I've got to be in two places at once. I've got to try and save because I care the most. No, you don't. You don't have to be in two places at once. You don't have to save. That's his job. So let's pray. There's grace to pray. And that, that will lead us back in next time to consider, yeah, well, let's pray for everyone. Let's pray for kings. Let's pray for those in authority. Let's pray. Let's proclaim. Let's be on mission. But let's be a people of faith. Let's believe who he is. Let's take up the shield. Let's stand firm. Let's extinguish those flaming arrows of unbelief. He doesn't want you to burn out. He wants you to see what he can do through you, through answering your prayers. You don't have to wait until you feel that your personal performance is better, that your faith shield is amazing. No, they're the same size for all of us. Take it up. Believe. Believe when you're in the mood and believe when you're not really in the mood. We're not just waiting for that wonderful wave, that impulse to come. Oh, the sun is shining. I think I can pray today. Now, you can pray if you're in Jesus. Period. And let's remember who we're speaking to. Some of us, we might carry some disappointments. 
they might be relatively trivial. There might be people here, and they're huge. But he's still that God, the one and only, all-consuming fire. Job had a massive complaint, living in horrendous suffering. Who could comfort him? He says at one point, if only there was someone who could put their hand on me and put their hand on God. At the same time, there is, his name is Jesus, and he can put his hand on you. And he can put his hand and sympathize with all that has gone wrong. And all that is horrid and ugly. And he can put his hand on, on God the Father and bring you to him. However big your disappointment, however big the unanswered prayer, he is your God. He is your saviour. He is your mediator. He knows. He cares. He's powerful. But he's put me on hold. Okay, he doesn't need to transfer you to another department. Maybe sometimes the Lord does put us on hold. But you know that thing where you think, oh, you're on the phone. They can still hear me. I can't hear them, but they can still hear me. Yeah, God can still hear. God still knows. Don't believe that God has just drifted away saying, it's not my area. I'm going to have to transfer you. Find another God. Money, success, Allah, whoever. No. He is your God. Maybe he has put you on hold. But what do we see in scripture? A God who responds. A God is worth waiting for. The one and only awesome God. Let's pray.